Well, I'm going to go ahead with uh, our study that we've been engaged in, kind of prepared uh, for, and brings us to somewhat of a close of uh, this series that I've been in called A Christian Living 101. So if you have your Bible, will you open it now with me to Colossians chapter 3? Colossians chapter 3. And uh, I'd like to encourage us, we're going to read this morning um, verses 17 all the way through verse 1 of chapter 4. So Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, all the way through verse 1 of chapter 4. And I'll begin by taking the odd number of verses, if you'll take the even number of verses. <coughs> And we'll read through it this morning and, and ask one more time for God's blessing. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Colossians 3, verse 17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Verse 18. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, Masters give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also Wonderful. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, one more time, we're just asking and knowing and believing uh, this hour. You have something to say to each of us through this ministry of your word, that you have promised that like the rain when it comes down to the earth and waters the sea and gives growth and moisture to the flower, the earth and the plants, they grow and, and they respond to that watering. Lord, you said, so is your word that goes out of your mouth that it does not return to you void, that it accomplishes the thing for which it is sent. And we trust that this morning. We ask that you would receive our thanks in advance for what you're doing and will do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.
Our Wednesday night gatherings are similar to this, although they're a little bit less of lecture format. We actually move a few chairs, put them in a circle, and as we are going through the life and times of Jesus on Wednesday nights, we're searching and asking each other and sharing with one another what God is doing and what God is saying in His Word. You'll really enjoy it if you're free and we'd love to have you come. But as we again uh, bring this series to a close, we're reminded that the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Colossian believers was definitely clear in this last section about the, the elements of Christian living, how letting Christ live His life out through you and I, how that fleshes itself out in daily living. And we took a cursory look, if you will, last week at, at husbands and wives, the subject of submission and the subject of agape love. We saw last week as in verse 18 wives were commanded to submit their own husbands as is fitting to the Lord that it was a God ordained order and it had nothing to do with value or ability. It wasn't uh, the word of God Paul in his letter to the Colossians didn't wasn't saying men are better. He was saying God has ordained an order. And that that submission by wives was, was in the sphere, it was in the sphere of their relationship with their husbands, not submission to all men blindly. And that it was an action that was to honor the Lord. That husbands in their love for their wives that that love was to be an unchanging love. It was to be a love that didn't demand a response or expect repayment. That that love was even a love to the unlovable, agape love. To love that wife when that wife may seem to the husband to be unlovable or when his love for that wife is even rejected, commanded to continue to love an unchanging love. And we ended that our uh, underscoring of those two truths, that that requires something greater than what we have within ourselves. One of the things that was brought to light in a fresh way at our film uh, Friday night, uh, the American Gospel, Christ Alone, is that oftentimes in churches, um, men and women are, you know, given the command of what they're to do, but not necessarily given the understanding of how that command is fulfilled. Like the the train, I love that illustration. It was not uh, original, but like the train on the track, you can see where to go. But the engine, the fuel, the power to take that train straight down those tracks is necessary where they're just cars sitting. 
And the Spirit of the living God indwelling you and I, when we have come to Christ, we'll talk about that in a moment, is that power by which Paul talks about living for Christ. That's the power by which that command is accomplished. And so he moves now from husbands and wives to children. And in verse 20, he gives the command, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. You will find it interesting that in his letter to the Colossians, this is the first point where the word obey appears. It's the first place where Paul inserts under the Holy Spirit the word obey, obedience. And as I was just alluding to, it's imperative to remember, you know, we might want to jump in and go, okay, what am I to do? Wait a minute. Remember who he's writing to. He's writing, as he tells us in chapter 1, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ Jesus. He's writing to those in verse 4 of chapter 1 who heard the word of Christ and he heard about their faith in Christ and their love for all the saints. He's writing and had reminded them about themselves and Jesus that it had pleased the Father in whom all the fullness of the Godhead should dwell, speaking of Christ, and that by Him, by Christ, to reconcile all things to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And Paul, writing to these Colossian believers, said, and you who once were alienated, verse 21 of chapter 1, said you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of his flesh through his death to present you holy and blameless and above approach in his sight. And so once again, we're reminded that the, the subject of Christian living or living a life of obedience to Christ For any single man, single woman, married man, married woman, or children, right? That would fall under single man or woman. Or in any endeavor, it assumes what Paul has made clear earlier on in his letter to these loved ones. It assumes clearly that the person and the work of Christ alone has been believed upon, received, and understood. Can we say that this morning? In other words, the truth again about who I am and what I am apart from Christ. Who I am and what I am apart from His redeeming work in my life upon the cross needs to be woven into the fabric of everything that I would say, well, this is what I want to do. This is what the Word of God tells me to do. 
that the truth is that I, I was not born a good person. Love this came out on the film again uh, Friday night. I wasn't born a good person who just kind of went a little bit bad. I was conceived in iniquity and born in sin. Psalm 51.5 And like the Colossian, you and I were enemies toward God. Enemies in our mind. We had broken God's law through lying, through coveting. Have you ever lied? Never told a lie. You ever wanted something that didn't belong to you? Then according to God's law, I'm a liar and a coveter. And I've broken His law, and because of that, I deserve judgment. And even in my best thinking, whatever, you know, moral thing I want to try and salvage, well, yeah, okay, I've done bad things, but I, you know, I try and be righteous that my best efforts to meet the righteousness and the holiness of God, Isaiah 64, 6 tells us, is as filthy rags. Because I deserve God's judgment, and I'm unable to achieve a holy and a right standing with that God, I need someone to mediate. I need someone to stand in the gap to put his hand on me and to put his hand on God. And the Word of God tells us that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who, according to 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6, gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, that on the cross of Calvary, and upon himself he bore the penalty of our sin. We can never walk away from that. We can, should never move too far from that very truth. We should not move away from that truth at all. Because as Isaiah reminds us that he poured out his soul unto death, Isaiah 53, 12, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's the good news, that by simple faith in the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, I am now promised a new nature. And the things that God would say in his love letter to me, this is how in Christ I want you to live. I now no longer have to try to depend upon myself to meet that qualification. Christ has met it. It's not about what I do. It's about what's already been done for me. And we cannot approach the subject of how wives are to submit to their husbands, how husbands love their wives, or, or how children are to obey their parents. And as we take these other subjects, you can't approach those truths without first embracing the very essential that it is Christ in me that is the hope of glory. Our obedience is not something we do to earn His favor. It is a response to the favor God has already shown us. Love those truths. So, some of you may have children that are adult. Some of you may have children that are younger. 
And we're told that children are to obey their parents. This is one of those, you know, verses we love to just, you know, have our kids read. You're supposed to obey me. You've got to obey me, right? In all things, but that obedience for them is equally true that they need a source greater than within themselves. Now one commentator says, as it relates to in all things, the only limit on a child's obedience is when parents demand something contrary to God's word. For example, when children will act contrary to their parents' wishes, even in coming to Christ. And we have some examples of that, of course, in Luke 12. Uh, Jesus said, you think I came to the earth to bring peace? He said, no, not at all. I, I will actually, my presence may actually bring division in homes. Five will be against five, a father against son, a mother against a daughter, in-law against an in-law. Anybody in your family opposed to you walking with Jesus? That's the fulfillment of Scripture. And so we have this great privilege of somehow living out our Christian life in such a way to those who are opposed to it that they see the Lord in us. They see Him at work in us. They don't see a holier-than-thou, I'm good, you're not. They see a willing individual ready to say, no, I'm a wretch. My hope for you, oh opposed family members, that one day you will come to know this great joy that I have found. In fact, in Luke 14.26, remember what Jesus said there? He said, if any man comes to me and does not, this is often a confusing text to some, Luke 14.26, does not hate father, mother, wife, uh, children, sister, brother, and his own life more than me. Does not hate more than me. Cannot be my disciple. And that would be one of those, you know, night, Wednesday nights we'll open up that verse and we'll just kind of round robin it. But the understanding there is in the original word hate. We interpret that as a negative response when in its origin it means to love less. Okay? So what Jesus was saying, if anyone comes to me, wants to follow me, but is not willing to love less than me, even their mother, father, sister, brother, children, and their own life. So they cannot be my disciple. And to unpack that truth with you means that it is possible that that individual can know Christ as their Savior but what does the term disciple mean? It means uh, it is a learner, a lifelong learner. So if someone is going to continue to put natural love for their family, for their spouses, for their other things above Christ, 
then they're going to be restricted in what Christ and what they will learn of Christ. One of the great examples of this, of course, we took several, you know, there were a lot of takeaways from the film Friday night, but the reminder of uh, Nabil Qureshi, who died September 2017, came from a Muslim family, wrote a book, you should all read it, every one of you should read this book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And Nabil in that book clearly gives you great understanding of, of, of the love of a, a Muslim family, how they love one another, the great things that are there, and his great respect for his family, although he came to renounce Allah, and place his faith in Jesus Christ. And, and how that impacted him with his family and his loved ones. We here in America have, if you want to scale one to ten, a lot of us have a deep love for family. Great family is very, very important. But Eastern cultures have even a greater love. So, Children, obey your parents in all things. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. He goes on in verse 21, and he moves it a step further and says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Uh, the language here is intended to include uh, fathers as... Uh, well, the language here is intended to imply fathers and mothers. I, I asked myself the question, why did he come back to now fathers? And it does give, of course, that um, clear directive that as husbands, fathers, there, there's a headship in the household. And uh, though the mother often brings a nurturing aspect into the life of the child, fathers, uh, we have a great deal of steering that goes on. A great deal of steering that goes on by reason of who we are, how we choose to father, how we choose to husband. And so it is very true that a, a father's choices in approaching that subject can lead to discouraging their own children. A couple of comments. Fathers um, do not provoke your children. But parents here are put into one as fathers. They have a responsibility not to provoke their children. Uh, parents can provoke their children by being too harsh, too demanding, too controlling, and unforgiving, or just plain angry. This harshness can be expressed through words, through actions, or through nonverbal communication. Another commentator says that uh, in most parenting problems the parent blames the child but it is easy to do because the problem is usually most evident in the bad behavior of the child but Paul wisely reminds us that the bad behavior may actually be provoked by the way in which the parent or the father specifically is seeking to employ um, 
I remember years ago when my uh, son was now in heaven, uh, was a young boy, I think he might have been all of about four years old, and I asked him to go clean up his room. And I waited a while, and it was time for put him to bed, and I went to go put them to bed, and he hadn't cleaned up his room. And I remember becoming so angry, so frustrated, at a four-year-old boy. And how ashamed of myself I am, or was, until I asked the Lord to forgive me and, and sought to change because of my, my anger and my yelling and, you know, why didn't you do what I said? I told you and, Dad, you know what I'm talking about. And it accomplished nothing. to go in and, and model for your children what you want them to do and how you want them to do it has such more impact. But I think ultimately children can be provoked to become discouraged and angry also by what a parent slash father does not do. In other words, they're left to their own. Well, let's let them decide, you know, how they want to go through life. Or let's let them just kind of come to terms with uh, their own thinking processes. No. Young minds, boys and girls, dads, we are to steer and to guide. And Paul makes that very clear here in his letter to the Colossians. In other words, there, there are consequences to choices that are bad choices. If we don't teach them that, we have to give them the freedom to make a bad choice and then to feel the consequence of that choice and remind them that there are ways to make healthy and better choices. Paul goes on in verse 22 to talk to bond servants. Let's read it. We read it earlier. Bond servants, obey in all things, this is the second time in the letter that is there, and it's the only time. Uh, Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And, and whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of an inheritance for you serve the Lord. And so now he moves into that, you know, subject that could probably hit each one of us across the board, our work environment. Whether our work is at home, our work is at a facility. Um, many of us, as I look around the room this morning, understand a job. And what Paul is referring to is that when you're at that job, you're not there for really you. You're not there really just for your employer. You're not there for the patient. You're there for the Lord. He, he placed you there if you're His. And as a result of being there, you don't 
serve your employer, you're serving the Lord. And so it's not about, well, did they see me, you know, work well today? Did they, did they watch how much detail I gave to making sure the numbers were right or the material was in the right place? But it, it, who's, the question really is, who's watching? And before cameras, right? Before this whole insert of, of cameras in our world, it was, well, did my, did my employer see that? Again, you know, I learned by hard knocks. And this lesson came so knocking at my front door years ago when I was a meat cutter for Lucky's, when the job was to clean the drain every night. And I hated working a night shift. I was a believer. I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to just love my job, right? But I, I, I always felt like, well, I should be home or I should be doing these other things for the Lord. But I'm here at night cutting this meat and filling this meat counter. You know, it took me quite a while to realize, hello, Art, I put you there, you know. And, and I'm, I'm tr uh, grooming you, training you, wanting to grow you, mature you. And I'm not going to release you until you get it, you know. And it's kind of like, and there was this drain. And this drain had fat and garbage in it from the, the day's cutting. And you were supposed to clean the drain every night. And some of you know this story. I've shared it with you before. Maybe there's one or two that haven't. And, you know, I got to the point where I didn't want to clean that drain. And I thought, well, you know, you could go one or two nights and not, they wouldn't know. And so then it became kind of a game in my own brain, like, oh, did I clean it last night? I don't remember. <laughs> oh, I got one more night of work, I'll just do it tonight. Well, oh, and then all of a sudden, no, I didn't have a night shift the next night. And then the person coming in who worked the night shift, after me, when I forgot to clean the drain, they would go to clean the drain and they would see two or three days of tallow and fat and garbage that would stink. Well, God used my head meat cutter and meat department manager to teach me and to humble me to remember this principle right here. That it wasn't, I wasn't to be doing this as unto him or lucky store it was to be as unto the Lord. I remember walking clearly into the, the meat department one day. I had a early shift, I'd come off a night shift and I had to clean the drain and my colleagues and my meat department manager were there and he said, hey Finney, we need to talk to you in the cooler. Uh, anytime they're asking you to go in the cooler, it's not gonna be good. And so into the cooler we go and I'm sitting on boxes of meat and I've got all my head meat cutter and two other meat cutters in that department who had all been the recipient of me not cleaning drains. <laughs> they were the witnesses. Let a matter be established in the mouth of two or that three witnesses. And they were all there to remind me, you're <coughs> doing what you're asked to do. And we've asked you and asked you and asked you. They had mentioned it several times. Hey, Finney, don't forget to clean the drains tonight. 
And so finally it got to the point to where the consequence for my choice not to obey needed to be fleshed out. And what they decided to do is give me nights indefinitely. Art, we just want you to know from this point forward you're working all the nights. And this is going to go on for an indefinite period of time until maybe you get it that that drain is supposed to be clean every night. Whatever you do, do as heartily unto the Lord. And it's a reminder to us. Uh, I'm not absent of, of having to remember that principle today, here, in this fellowship. We're never beyond it. It's something that the Lord says, speaks to our heart every day in every endeavor. Because there is a consequence for disobedience. As he states in verse 25, he who does wrong or does not obey will be repaid. In other words, there's a consequence for what he has done. There's no partiality. God doesn't say, well, you know, I like this one, this guy or gal a little bit more than that guy or gal. I'll repay that one, but not the other. No, it's an across-the-board consequence for not obeying or doing what has been clearly made known to you in the Lord. You, you and I are accountable for what we know. And if you know to do it, as James tells us, he who knows to do good and does not do it to him in his sin. And he closes in this vein and subject with his word to employers. In verse 1 of chapter 4, when he says, Masters, Give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And he rightly and, and wisely, and of course the unction is by the Holy Spirit, moves to this place of those that, that have the um, oversight of others. In our world today, that would be an employer. You, you have a business, you, you have a, others that work for you. And that in that position, we are to treat those who are working for us just and fair. We're to give to them, knowing that we have been given much by our Master in heaven. Very powerful. very practical, very uh, clear. It doesn't get any clearer than that. We talk about living for Christ or Christian living, that it begins with letting Christ live Himself out in and through us. It begins with our recognition and our need to receive the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ on the cross, by acknowledging that we are inept, that we are 
sin. We are a sinful people. We have been an enemy at, with God and yet God in His mercy. For by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God in His mercy reached out to us and we embrace that mercy. We receive that forgiveness. We let the blood of Christ be applied to our life. We then take a right standing before God and the throne of God to which now He fills us with His Spirit, pours out His Spirit into our life, and our response is, Lord, how can I live to obey Beautiful, beautiful response to uh, a glorious work that takes place inwardly. I trust this morning that as we're going through this, the Lord is just kind of putting His finger on little places in our heart that He may be saying to you, there's this place I want to work on. There's this little area that I... I'm still kind of, uh, I got you on nights until you get it. <laughs> you know, side note is cutting meat for a living is lucky. Um, early on, first two or three years after I achieved my apprenticeship and became a journeyman, <coughs> achieved my journeymanship. Um, about my third year, I was working uh, in a shop in Oakland, and I was approached by the supervisor. And the meat manager and the supervisor saw my, my hand-eye coordination, they saw my willingness to want to work hard and everything. And You know, in grocery stores, they're always looking to raise you up, as long as you'll bow to the mighty schedule of the groceries. And uh, so they came to me and said, hey, Art, how would you like to be a, a second man? And second man would be the next step to meet management, right? And I'm like, well, that sounds good. I mean, I've only been working for three years, and I was one of the oldest apprentices in that uh, region of meat cutters. I became a journeyman meat cutter at 29, 30. And so they were willing to raise me up kind of quickly. How would you like to become a second man? You could, you know, do that for a couple of years and then we'll probably have a store that needs a manager. Like, okay, well, what do I do? Where do I sign, right? And he's like, I, I, want, I want to move up. And they said, okay, all you have to do is work every Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> we'll give you two days off on the road during the week, but, you know, you're going to work every, and I, like, I recently come to the Lord, and I was going to church, and it was my lifeline, and still is. And I, well, I, I got to go home and think about this, pray about this. I'm praying, praying. And, you know, I can't say that I heard heaven, but there was this strong prompting inside me that and the Lord was saying, you know, I, I have something different for you than management in Lucky Store Meat Departments. And so, very difficult, but I came and I said, you know, thank you guys for the offer. I had to tell my supervisor, but uh, no, I, I don't want it. 
well, well, how come? I said, well, you know, I, I'm a Christian, and I, I view going to church as very important, and so I, I really, I, I need those Sundays, not to work Sundays. Well, in my 13 and a half years career with meat department, you know, I can tell you, I worked a lot of Saturdays, I worked a lot of Sundays, never as a second man or a meat cutter, but when God saw graciously, when God, by God's grace, He saw a call on my life, and others acknowledged that call, and a warehouse Christian ministries in Jackson, and the board of elders there, and they, they were willing to ordain me and bring me on staff as an assisting pastor, and one of the first things I was was the, the Coke machine pastor. It was my job to fill the Coke machine every week. And I was like, I'm on ministry and I'm filling the Coke machine. And, and, uh, and, but guess what? Guess who works every weekend now? Yeah. I work every Sunday. <laughs> Tongue in cheek. <laughs> The Lord's beautiful irony in His call on your life to serve Him in whatever endeavor you are in, wherever you are, wherever you find yourself right now. It's that call upon your life to just be content in all things. Remember, it's not the camera, it's the Lord watching. And what you're doing, you're doing as unto Him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your grace this morning. Thank you that you've let us uh, just sit at your feet this morning and worship you and delight ourselves in you and listen to you Speak to us. We're so thankful. And none of these things that we have read about can we do unless you empower us. Fill us afresh with your spirit. And cause us just worship you in everything that we say and do. We love you today.